inclusivity of everybody um, and the ability of football in particular as, as we're at the football to accept and accept people for whoever they are, whatever they, wherever they come from um, and then build on that. Welcome to The Coat Hanger on 2SER 107.3. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast and record this pod, the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host, Fiona Lamb, and I'm joined by... Emma Phillips. Matt Morgan. And Coach Kiwi down in Wurundjeri Nation. Excellent. Uh, now I just heard, I just played a little bit of the crowd noise at the Pride Round um, down in Melbourne, which thanks to Coach Kiwi, we'll play a little bit more of that a little later. Now we actually have a fixture! Hooray! We have a fixture for um, round three. Let's talk about that. Nat. <laughs> oh. <what? laughs> The good news is that uh, GWS are back at home again for another match and it sounds like we'll be able to all go and watch them play the Gold Coast this Saturday afternoon. So that's some great news because it looked fantastic on the TV the other day with the sun shining, but it was lacking the crowd out on the hill. So I want to be part of that this weekend. But it's just one of actually seven Ripper matches. They're all really evenly balanced. I guess the, the two big ones will be Adelaide and Frio and Brisbane and Collingwood. So I think that's the top four teams. Would that be almost right? With the, you know, a lot of them undefeated, it'll be, those matches will be fantastic. They're, I'm looking forward to them all. And you can throw the Melbourne and North game into that too, Nat, out at Casey on, I think it's Saturday night, 7-10. So the two of them are also undefeated. Those three matches have six teams of undefeated uh, who are undefeated. So it's going to shake things up and give us some idea of where those top teams are at. And the bottom teams... Richmond West Coast are playing off against each other as well. So that'll be a beauty. So, look, all the matches will be excellent viewing this weekend. Yeah, get out and see them. And the great one with the great thing about that game out at Casey Fields is there's no way it'll uh, sell out because no one really wants to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. And it's see. on a Saturday night. <laughs> Saturday night, Casey. Yeah, that's sensational. Well, I'll be out at uh, at Blacktown, and uh, the, you both will too, will you, Nat and Em? Yep, yep, yeah, definitely. definitely. Go. We might have to carpool. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Try uh, round means to me um, inclusivity of everybody um, and the ability of football in particular as, as we're at the football to accept and accept people for whoever they are, whatever they, wherever they come from um, and then build on that um, to yeah, really build on that to say well now this is a public thing and let's just keep building it and building it and building it um, to the point where it's not an issue. 
I think too it's a great celebration of community that is around football and I think this is one thing that you kind of see with the women's game in particular that there's a huge celebration and that to me is unique within the you know the, the women's game more so than the men and I think the men should be looking at the women's game saying this is how it should be done not some tokenistic thing but something that is from grassroots level so strong such a big part of this game so yeah I, I think for me that this this particular pride round is amazing it really is how good is that and we'll finish it right there cheers from melbourne Nice work, Coach Kiwi. We'll hear a little bit more of that uh, audio in the fifth quarter, which you can catch in our podcast. Now, we did have Pride Round. It was pretty fantastic. But let's talk about some Guernseys that were missing. So out of 14 clubs, only five had Pride Guernseys. And one of the ones that really surprised me was St Kilda, because St Kilda is the team that plays against the Swans and has that pride round in the men's game and has done for many years. I was really expecting a Guernsey. And didn't they, actually, didn't they have one last year? I thought they jumped on the bandwagon last year. Anyway. Now, one of the things that uh, was prominent on some of those Guernseys, uh, who who did have a pride Guernsey, and amongst those were uh, Adelaide, Bulldogs, Carlton. Hello. Geelong, of course. Who's the fifth? Can't remember. Uh, wasn't it uh, not West Coast? Who had the nice white one with the colours oh, on? Brisbane. 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 The Brisbane yeah. Lions. Oh, Trace will be onto you for that. Not remembering <laughs> Brisbane Lions. Um, so they had the trans flag. Now, what's controversial about that is that at the moment, trans women are not permitted to play in the AFLW. Um, and uh, there are some policy changes at the lower levels of, of Australian rules football. Now, um, we had a chat to Hannah Mouncey just yesterday. It seems like a long time ago now. Um, Coach Kiwi and I had a chat with Hannah Mouncey, who, who has been in the news over the year, last couple of years for that very reason. Uh, she had some interesting takes and I'm going to share a little bit of our conversation here and you'll be able to catch the rest in our podcast. So let's go to Hannah now. So currently we're going through Pride Round um, with the AFLW and a lot of the Guernseys, the Geelong one, the Bulldogs one, uh, has specifically put the trans flag on it. What When you see that, how does that make you feel? Because I know we've gone around and there's loads of interviews with lesbian or out, yeah. pl- out female players in the competition. So, yes, we go through the rainbow flag. But seeing that flag and saying, yes, we include trans, knowing that really the AFL doesn't. Yeah. But for for someone like you, how does that really make you feel? Yeah, that's massive. Like, so, I mean, you sort of take the AFL out of it as an organisation. Um, but, you know, the clubs and the AFL are very separate entities, you know, and they, and the players obviously are so different again. And so, you know, that's huge. And Darabin was first, you know, we did it first. And I remember playing the pride game in Hamilton and I'm not someone who's hugely, looks hugely into the symbolisms of anything, you know, so I went into a thing and just be like another game, go out and play, whatever. And that was great. Like, you know, like playing that game, you know, you, you walk out and you play like you're, 30 foot tall you know it was amazing um so yeah that's great because it's sort of 
one of the few ways that the clubs and um, anyone else can sort of, you know, include that on there and not have a shot at anyone, but make their own feelings very clear as separate to the AFL. Uh, look, in terms of, I think it's just sport in general and football in general. I just think the more people we can get playing, the better. And the simpler we can make the processes, the better. Like I'm with, especially, you know, male to female trans athletes, you know, I totally agree. There needs to be checks and balances in place to make sure that, you know, it, there isn't that unfair advantage. And, and I totally get that. And, you know, where the um, IOC landed is actually pretty, having been through it is pretty spot on, you know, after 12 months of no testosterone, like I couldn't do anything compared to what I used to, you know I mean? I lost about 70% of my strength across that period. So I just think if we can just go back to you and, and not just strength, but everything, but the strength is measurable with, in numbers, you know, really easily with weight. So the, the quicker we can get to just using testosterone numbers and not have all this other stuff with having to go do all these physical testing that makes it very subjective, the better because numbers are binary. You're either above or below and between the IOC and the IAAF, you know, there's enough evidence there to show that testosterone deprivation works um, in that sense. I don't agree, obviously, with the IAAF making Castor, Castor lower her testosterone. That's a totally separate issue, but the science of what testosterone deprivation does is there. So yeah. you should use that. Well, uh, Hannah Mouncey, dickhead from Wodonga, Thanks, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I have to make much. it very clear, listeners, she made me say it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's me, 100%. That is my bio. She did make me say it, you know. I asked her for her bio and she said, yeah, just call me a dickhead from Wodonga. <laughs> so, of course, you, um, Hannah was referring to Casta Semenya, who is now being forced to um, reduce her naturally occurring testosterone if she wants to continue competing in in the olympics that's what she what hannah was referring to there so i really um appreciated her point of view and uh it was a really great chat um em did you want to say some more look i just i think as pride round unfolded um it became sort of very painfully clear how excluded trans players are from our wonderful competition and it gave us a lot of chance to reflect of course on the really wonderful queer community especially queer women that have built our great game and this this aspect of our great game and and it's just to me you know we're looking at a human rights issue with the exclusion of trans players and I think the AFL are really going to have to you know do something about it and do it soon like I know they're thinking and talking but you know it's it's going to catch up with them the IOC have got rules that are far ahead of theirs and I think it's Hannah that makes the point about um, you know testosterone levels is one thing that the IOC follows but then the AFL have these very subjective rules around physical size and their physical capacity around things like vertical leap and, you know, height and that kind of thing. Um, and that's very different from, you know, ISC rules, which are international standards. So look, it just feels again, like we, it's very difficult to fully celebrate a so-called inclusive pride round without the inclusion of trans players. I appreciated seeing the trans flag on the jumpers of some of the, some of the players across the weekend, but, you know, symbols are one thing, action is another. Yeah, true. Uh, and what I what I love about um, Hannah's approach is that she's being inclusive. She's actually thinking about um, the well being of others 
that's that's her point. Let's get people playing, as many people playing as we can. Um, let's hope that we see that. Let's talk about match highlights. Uh, what was your match highlight this round? Please, Nat. Well, my big highlight was the West Coast Frio match. Uh, despite the pouring rain, it was a you know it was a terrific tight tussle. But in the very last quarter, Taylor Breslin did the best mother I've seen since I reckon uh, he's sure on Nick Rewalt in that Collingwood St Kilda Grand Final game. <laughs> now she ran down from outside fifty. Her and she was chasing down Houghton, who kicked it to herself. It's, you know, skidding along the ground in the goal square. Howden's one of the fastest players out there. But Breslin chased her down and just died full force, full frontal, almost into the goalpost, and smothered the ball and stopped a dead set goal. Now, the, the time was only a goal, the difference, with seven points still to play. West Coast was still in the game because of the weather. So uh, high five to Taylor Breslin for that effort. Full, full points. Kiwi, highlight from the round? Um, probably I think the young Saints really took it to North and, um, you know, had they been able to take the ball better in their forward 50, they might have got um, some better score. But, um, you know, they were in the game. They took it to them. And, you know, obviously Taylor Harris marking. I think that's a highlight. Every week um, when she's not playing against Stacey Livingston. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. M. I think the highlight, look, there were plenty of highlights across the weekend. It was a great round. But uh, for me, Elise Parker's 27 touches in a losing Giants side. And not just the number of possessions. We get a little bit, you know, we get seduced by number of touches, of course. But um, just the way she used the ball, but especially her clearance work. And if you look at the stats across both teams, the one area, the only area the Giants won was in clearances you know, oddly, I mean, they got well done, but they did they did beat Adelaide in clearances. And really, I think you can well put that down to Elise Parker's efforts around the ball. So big game for her. Yeah, great. Well, that was my highlight too. So let's move on now to penalties, reports, reprimands. Nat, you've got a list. Um, yeah, look, um, our own Giants, uh, Tani Evans, she slammed Considine into the ground accidentally, but really was a pretty hard head knock. And I know that uh, Constantine has to take the 12-day uh, enforced time out of the match for uh, concussion rule. Um, so Tani's been reported and can accept a one-week ban for that. And, and she's then the four... Irish player, is that right? Uh, that's right. So the that's Irish, Irish, Irish press yeah. were on to us again this week. <laughs> I saw someone thinking that perhaps we were targeting the Irish players. <laughs> I don't but think I think so. that's a little step too far. <laughs> and just four reprimands, um, Chris Barkas... Um, Ross, Moylan and Mithin can all accept a, uh, a $400 fine, I think it is, if they take the uh, early guilty plea for uh, either rough tackle, tackles or a striking charge. So that's that. Interesting to hear Press Parkas's name in this category again, isn't it? So that's two rounds in and twice she's been looked at. Nothing terrible going on, not making any suggestions that she's doing anything untoward, but she is getting targeted by opposition players. Um, you know, is going to have that treatment all year. So let's see if she responds now. She needs to learn to control her mm. temper, I guess, doesn't she? Let her actions do the talking, not her fists or her bumps. Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about what's hot in the huddle because, uh, Nat, did you have a fall from grace or something? A fall from a great height? Well, we might be talking about the coat hanger tipping competition. Now, last week I wasn't on the show, so you chose to ignore the fact that I was on top of the leaderboard. And then the week I come in, I've slipped. I've dropped to fourth. Now, Emma, 
is in third place with the chips. Mm, Tracy, she's the big mover. She's moved from 25th position to 5th, so good on you. Now, if you're getting coached by Kiwi, don't get her to coach you in the tips because she's <laughs> sitting in 18th place. And Fee, you're near the very bottom of well, there's 46 people in the tipping comp and you're at 37, so you've got room to move. So, but I, uh, tip, leading... with, I tip with my heart, Nan. Well, see, that's your big <laughs> How's error, that going it? for you, Fee? Yeah. Not so There's good. your first mistake. <laughs> Um, but a shout-out to Warren, uh, Go Dragons is his little catchphrase. He's leading the comp. Um, it's his margin that's getting him over the line. That's a bit I'm failing at. I'm blowing out on my margin, so I'm going to have to reel that back in this week. Warren um, Teague I'm... actually nailed the margin this week. What was the that, fr- the fright- Warren Teague nailed the margin this week, and that's why he's claimed first spot. And if you're out there at the moment, Warren, listen to this, shout-out, congratulations on nailing the actual margin of the game. Well done. <laughs> well done. Very impressive. <laughs> All right, now we're going to listen in on the conversation between Trace and Beck Privatelli. And I'm just wondering, um, how's your prep for 2021 been since the end of the AFLW season 2020, which seems like so long ago? Yeah, it does. Um, Firstly, it was just great to get out um, and play on the weekend. It's been a really long time coming. Um, Yeah, I guess this year has been a little bit of a different pre-season of what we've experienced in the past. There's been a lot of unknown and a lot of change um, happened for our group but um, yeah I guess the the biggest focus for me is just been trying to make what isn't a normal situation as normal as possible and that's kind of the mindset that I've just had throughout the journey um, and you know we had a really good time in Aubrey and um, although we did miss a period over the Christmas break it was good once we got the group, group together and we got to finally see some progress after um, a break apart so yeah, pre-season different, but um, I'm really glad that, that we are where we are at the moment. No, that's awesome. And you, you managed to play footy in the off-season. You managed to play in, in the Sydney AFL comp, um, where a lot of, um, I think, your Melbourne counterparts didn't. So how was that for you? I did. I uh, had my first season at the Inner West Magpies, and it was it was honestly um, amazing. We... I think the group and Trace, you'd know, but um, obviously the Magpies have struggled for a couple of years to place a consistent foot in. I think finished at the back end of the ladder um, maybe for the past couple of years. So to bring that group some success and, and to have a really good season and make it all the way through to the grand final was pretty unreal for not just the girls, but for the club as well. I think it was the first grand final that the club's been a part of for a, a really long time. So that was pretty special. Um, and I, I love playing footy. So for me, playing is the best way for me to, I think, improve and um, build confidence in my game. So I had a really good good season. I really enjoyed myself. Um, and we were pretty lucky to be playing over what was a really difficult time. It was kind of what kept us sane and, and motivated um, in what was a really tough time, particularly in Victoria. So I was wrapped to just be out there and playing footy. And you can hear more of that in the fifth quarter on our podcast. You're listening to the Coat Hanger Football Radio on 2SER 107.3 and we want to talk about what's in the news in AFLW this week. There were some comments from one Peter Searle and uh, a few of us took umbrage. <laughs> so Pete Searle, uh, coach of, of St Kilda, uh, was talking about the weighting of some of the teams and... She made a point that the North Melbourne team is rather heavily weighted with some 
superstar players. And uh, while she's she's excited about where St Kilda might be in a couple of years, she thinks there's a little bit of top heaviness with with uh, with that team. Em, you had a comment, didn't you? Uh, yes, I had a comment. Uh, yeah, look, she was speaking on, I think it was Fox News, about uh, North being supposedly gifted some top 10 players over the past couple of years, which is what's put, put them in such a strong position. And this is on the back of her young Saints, of course, being beaten by North on the weekend. I did note that one of her main complaints in this article was that the North Melbourne team is made up of quite a number of players who used to play together at community level at Melbourne Uni Footy Club. And uh, now, of course, she's saying that they know each other really well and that's one of the reasons they play so well together so they have an unfair advantage. And I can't help but note a couple of things out of that. North Melbourne, of course, didn't get a licence at the start of the AFLW, uh, you know, when AFLW started, they didn't get a license when they should have. And the, the Melbourne U players actually were scattered across the AFLW competition from memory, something like about 22 of the players at Melbourne Uni were spread out over those AFLW teams. And her old team, Darabin, who was one of Melbourne Uni's arch rivals, also had a very similar thing, a great number of players spread out across the comp. But a large number of the Darabin players got to stay with Melbourne Footy Club, who got their license from the outset. Now, of course, They've been playing together for quite some time. They know each other very, very well, giving them perhaps an advantage, which I know she didn't mention in the article about North Melbourne. Just wanted to say. (laughs) (laughs) It only takes a few minutes in a football conversation in Victoria and that old Darabin versus everybody else rivalry rears its ugly head. (laughs) Can I say, yeah, Fee, I was going to say, maybe uh, Peter Sell could take a note out of the Alan McConnell uh, press conference after a win you don't find excuses you don't make excuses you I think people are trying to say you've had a terrible week or your travel's been disruptive he didn't want any of that he said there's no place for whingers so (laughs) perhaps Pete can take a little you know pointer from him and just positives after the game and you can only worry about yourselves Right. Well said that. Also in the news was an article on Emma Carney and um, Kate Shearlaw, which was overtly sexual in the opening paragraph. It was by, oh, look, I don't even want to talk about who wrote it, but it it just reminded us how far we still have to come in reporting by straight male uh, journalists and, and their opinion of AFLW. It was just really disappointing and, and kind of telling that... Um, Within the the opening sentences, um, sex was mentioned twice. I think was it just like I think I think it was his opening monologue for his book, his porn book he was writing. You know, <laughs> you know how oh old balding blokes lover, you know, leso porno to read. It. <laughs> <laughs> just my opinion, allegedly, and all that. Oh God! Anyway, could do better. But uh, as uh, as M was saying, or maybe I'll let you speak, Em. What, what were you saying? That if, if oh, I just um, I think your comment there, Fee, about could be better. It makes me think of the old do better, um, you know, motif that we like to bandy about these days. I think the point for me was just in the first couple of paragraphs of the article that was in the Herald Sun. Uh, he says two things for me. One was. You know, he mentions gay romance in the first paragraph, which does read like a sort of an old lesbian erotica or something from Mm. about 40 years ago, doesn't it? Um, But gay romance. And I thought you just don't 
there's no need. They never write straight romance. Exactly. You know, still, That's exactly the point. We're still Amy. getting that. And with 2021, we're still reading things like that in mainstream news. So that was very disappointing. And then there was just that sort of the overt references to sex, I think, as you mentioned, Fee, and it all felt a bit titillating, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Can I use that word? <laughs> well, you have now. Uh, well, <laughs> also in the news uh, today, Coach Kiwi, you were you now. Whilst this is not AFLW news, there was some history making um, news in the US with some female coaches. Can you fill us in, please? Um, well, yes. As most people know, it's some um, Super Bowl Monday in um, this side of the world. And um, history was made with Sarah Thomas being the first field umpire for the Super Bowl. And um, also Laurie Locust was um, the fir- one of the first female coaches. So she was in the coaching panel. She's a defensive line coach there. And um, the Buccaneers won, who is obviously now my favourite team. They've, I think they've got a <laughs> six females on their coaching panel. Oh, I thought they were your um, favourite because they just won. No, they're your favourite. Well, no, they were my favourite because of all the females that have got involved in this, you know, men's world because um, some of them are through the strength and conditioning parts of the program and stuff. But also this guy, Tom Brady, who just never seems to age at 43, has now won his seventh um, Super Bowl ring, which is just um, huge. But, yeah, go Laurie Locust. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, so Laurie Locust, as in the the flying animal. Yes, as in the super coach for the Buccaneers. As in the super, well said. <laughs> I'm Fiona Lamb. <laughs> as <All> in right. <laughs> the coat hanger. We are going to wrap up now. This is the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show on 2SER 107.3. This weekend, GWS hosts the Gold Coast at Blacktown International Sports Arena. <laughs> on So Saturday the 13th at 3.10pm. We will be there. We will be there. We'll see you there. Any final comments from the panel? I think just a quick... Um, I'm not going to be... Sorry, go. Okay, I'll finish. I'm not going to be there in Sydney, but if anyone spots me in um, probably I'll go to St Kilda game. Um, come and say hi and be part of Kiwi's crew and we'll have a new question for the week. Perfect. Where's that game? Saturday afternoon, 5 o'clock at RSEA Park. All right. So get your tickets on Friday morning. Yeah, Friday morning. I think that's right. Look it up. Look it up, peeps. It's on the AFLW app. And M. All I was going to say was just to shout out to Michael Wilson again for his stunningly magnificent, <laughs> I would say, masterpiece of a football photo. He comes up with yes. one every year, which seems to involve Taylor Harris, but that's fine. She produces such brilliant you know, chances for images, I suppose. And look, if you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend seeking Michael Wilson on Instagram or any of the usual socials and checking that beautiful uh, kind of statuesque photograph. Kiwis I've actually yep. got I've got two of them ready to go from Michael Wilson. One is the one you're talking about with everyone with their eyes closed. He's got the one of the, just the mo- the split second before when all eyes are on the football. So the two of them together is um, you know pretty magic. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to post um, some awesome photos from the weekend up on Facebook tomorrow. Beautiful. And that's a good segue into reminding people to catch us on the socials, Twitter, Insta and Facebook. This is the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show. Catch us every Monday, 7pm on 2SER 107.3. And for the best hub of using women's footy, tune in in to to the the Coat Hanger.
This week on the show, we're chatting to a talented multi-sport athlete. She's six foot two, can beat the smalls to the ground balls, has a 40 meter handball, makes the coach's heart sing with her set shots at 50 meters, though she grows plenty of gray hairs for those coaches at the 30 meter set shots. She's Saturday's page 88 Herald pinup girl. Welcome to the show, Hannah Mouncey. Is that like the? Is that is that anything like the uh, the mirrors page three pinup girl that they used to have on the Sunday? Exactly, exactly. But <laughs> Saturday is an athlete. I, I still remember them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going, Hannah? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Kiwi? I am fantastic. And how's life in Canberra? So you've had a quick change and whipped across the border and now you're um, setting up for footy season in the cold state, I call it, because it's colder than Melbourne, surely. I've been here for three days. This is my third day. Um, And I call it God's country. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) Remember, I'm from New Zealand. No, yeah. (laughs) I do love New Zealand. I love it. Um, But, um, no, it's great. I... um, I'm pretty much all set up. Somehow I, I fled across the border Thursday night, got in Friday one o'clock and somehow ended up working Friday afternoon. So <laughs> don't know how that's happened. I'm working again today. Um, so yeah, I don't know how that's come to pass. Um, but no, it's great. So I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be home. Very chilled environment. Really happy. Great. Fantastic. So Hannah, for our listeners, can you give us a little bit, little bit of your bio? <laughs> Where, where did you? Where have you played Australian rules football, and what was your experience as a trans player in those clubs? Uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up playing. Uh, so I grew up in Albury Wodonga, um, and started playing there. So I played all my junior football there. Um, you know, played the under 18s with North Albury and the Ovens and Murray, and then. Um, moved to Canberra the next year when I finished school um, and was playing for Ainsley up there. Um, and that was the only year I actually really played any football of note as an adult for a while because at that time, that was when I got into handball, which is a sport I'd seen when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old and always wanted to play. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of opportunities there. It was fantastic. So I got to uh, represent Australia for a long, long time and hopefully will again, you know, post COVID and all that sort of stuff and a few other issues to resolve there. But, um, you know, I loved it. And so, you know, I was traveling around a lot, traveling around the world and around Australia doing that. Um, I played one year of football. Um, I think it was like 2013 after we got back from the world championships, just because there was nothing on for a few months. And I, and, and to play fours, I didn't have to train. Um, so I could just rock up on the Saturday and play fullback and do whatever I like. And because they were all, you know, the fat full forward, it was the one time I was blessed with speed and I could run off them. Right. Because, yep. you know, everything's relative. Yes. Like a Mack truck versus a bulldozer. It's not it's still not particularly impressive. Um, <laughs> Mack truck versus a bulldozer. So, like that, that year in fours was fantastic because we also got beaten by 100 points every week. So the ball was always down my end. So I could just do whatever I like, really. And it was great. Um, There was no accountability whatsoever. And if I got 10 kicked on me, it was okay because that was going to happen anyway because it was coming in so much. 
So I just ran off, did what I liked. Um, but then, yes, yeah, so I didn't play again for a few years after that because um, of handball, um, because, you know, we had Olympic qualifications in 2016 and, and, all, and tours in Europe and things like that. And then, um, you know, after we missed out um, on qualifying for Rio at the end of 2015, that was when, you know, things really became quite pressing for me in terms of all the gender stuff. And I, I began that transition. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, that, that was a really, really hard process, um, you know, really difficult process. And, um, you know, because your whole life is, is sort of flipped upside down, even as much as you might try to avoid that. Um, and again, you know, I, I had coached or I'd been assistant coach of an ACT under 12s team back in 2008. So we had Jack Steele and Logan Austin and a few of those guys in that team as 12 year olds, which was pretty cool. But, um, you know, I, I, as a result, I knew one of the parents in that team who was working at the sports commission and was, whose family's got a very long involvement with Ainsley. And I just messaged her and said, look, would I be able to play football? Um, just for something to do and meet people and, and that sort of stuff. And she said, yeah, no worries. Put me in touch with the coach. And I went down and that was 2017 um, and played football in Ainsley. Um, and it was fantastic. You know, it was brilliant. I, you know, was welcomed with open arms, you know, by that group really made no difference at all um, that I was trans. And to be honest, there were other trans players already playing in the competition um, so for them, having trans players playing was nothing new. Um, and, and, you know, had a great time, played with them. I'd actually booked a trip to Europe midway through the year, so I only played half a season at Ainsley um, because I'd already booked that prior to going um, down to training. And then, you know, things really snowballed from there. You know, for something that I just wanted to do to meet people, got really out of hand just maybe a month or two before I went to Europe. Um you know, a couple of clubs in Melbourne um, asked if I'd be interested in playing AFLW and I just sort of went, sure, I guess, why not? Um, so I met with Collingwood Bulldogs in Melbourne um, and, and it just sort of went from there and then the draft thing happened and I ended up in Melbourne, played for Darabin and that was fantastic. Um, you know, we had a great year, I think. You know, we, we just missed finals, but... You know, that was that was different though. You know, from the year before it was um oh, it was just night and day. Like I still really enjoyed it, but I was just under so much pressure, I think, to perform week in, week out, um, because of the way the media had built me up. Like it was like of some, you know, Buddy Franklin, Gary Ablett, Love Child, and was coming to destroy the women's competition. And I was like, it wasn't the case, but I'd been built up so much. So I, I was I I didn't realize it till even a couple of months ago just how much pressure I was under that season. Yeah. To perform and that, and I think that really, um, you know, affected the way I sort of went about things a bit. It'd be a bit different now. I think if I went back into that environment, I'd probably play a lot better because I was a lot more relaxed now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then I haven't really played since. But uh, yeah, I'll be playing for Ainsley again hopefully this year. Yeah. And so who who was your favourite line coach at Darabin? Well. <laughs> I like to brag that eventually I was invited to one or two sessions with the midfield group. So there actually is a choice here. Oh. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm going to say Kiwi. I'm going to say Kiwi. Not, not because she's here at all, 
not because she's here at all. Um, but no, I mean, and that's one of those things I was actually thinking about, you know, over the last few months. Like I was probably very, very, and I know I was very, very difficult to probably coach because I was under so much pressure um, to perform at the, and I was really feeling that. And I found it and I was just, it, it really took a toll as, as the season went on. And um, yeah, sorry, Kiwi. No, um, <laughs> it's okay. At least you picked me. You know, I've had a former Giants player um, not pick me and pick a current well, Giants pick a current coach which was hurtful but I understand um <laughs> now but probably what you don't realize I guess is um when when we were at Darabin is a lot of times uh us coaching group we would have a, our own little meetings and try and work out how we can look after you how we can protect you um and obviously we're all about wellness for all our players so you know we probably didn't share with you how concerned we were about your welfare and um, probably I think we struggled to work out the best ways to look after you. Um, I do remember that first game against NT at Preston Oval and there were a lot of Cameron people around and a lot of people that came just for the steer factor. I remember um, that too. There yeah. was some genuine people I that don't. came to watch football. <laughs> <laughs> Blur for you probably because you had so much on your mind. And, um, you know, and, and I guess – Falcons being Falcons, we, you know, protect, protect our own when you're at Darabin is, is yeah. kind of how it was. And so, yeah. um, you know, we sort of set up a little, I don't know if you call it a pack, but we stood, we tried to get between the lenses and you just to kind of protect you in a way. Um, and, and just, yeah, I guess to, to look after your wellness, but to look after, um, I guess, I don't think we could control the negative media, but we just knew there was going to be some. Um, but just to sort of, I guess, look after what we can look after, I guess, around Darabin and stuff. But yeah, it was, it did, um, we often had chats about what we could do to look after you. And, um, and I remember having you and me having some chats about the impact of social media and how much that weighed on you and all those death threats and things that um, would take a toll on anyone, but you just were hammered by it. Yeah, like it was hard and, and, I think it, it was it was difficult looking back on it now because, um, you know, I, at the end of that season, you know, I just needed to step away from football for a long time. But it was sort of hard to build relationships with anyone at that point too, like within the playing group and things, because I just wanted to get away from football when I wasn't at football. And so, you know, that makes it really hard to create those relationships. And, um, you know, so it's sort of hard. I was actually really keen to head down to watch some games last year at Darabin and obviously COVID happened and then VFL this year and it sort of never lined up because I, I, I didn't like the way it ended, um, you know, and I would have liked to have been involved a bit more, but just the way it was at the time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, um, yeah, it just didn't work. But, you know, I loved it though. It was great. I'd love to get down there. What work are you doing at the moment? Um, so I have a company that provides um, support to people with mental health issues um, through NDIS, but also the other side of that, um, we provide a lot of support to people with aut- with cognitive you know, disabilities, so autism, Down syndrome, anything that would fall under that sort of category. So, so Hannah, what has to happen for trans players to be included in the AFLW and in the lower levels? Um, so uh, do you mean with the new policy? Yeah, I think perhaps um, 
Can you explain how the policies changed? Because isn't that yeah. part of the issue that the, so, the policies yeah. changed? Initially, um, the way it worked was, you know, the policy that they've got now or is for elite competitions is the one that they've had for the AFLW competition since probably 20, at the end of 2018. Um, and that is, you know, you provide, you know, testosterone levels and things like that, but also submit to a whole heap of testing, which, um, you know, it's what the AFL wants to do. So that's fine, I guess. Um, and initially that only applied to the AFLW competition and state leagues were exempt um, because they were considered community football. Uh, now all the state leagues are considered elite as well. And so therefore covered by that policy. So the VFL, I'm like, look, the VFL, I think we can probably agree is an elite competition. Um, but the state leagues outside that, I think it's probably rather questionable whether you could call them elite. Um, and the AFL's just done that, you know, based off, well, it is a state competition. It is the premier competition for that state. Therefore it's elite. But, you know, I think we know that across a lot of sports, just because it's a state league does not necessarily mean that the competition is of an elite level. Um, and so... Now, anyone wanting to play state league football has to go through the same process as to if they wanted to play AFLW. Um, there's a few exceptions to that. So Canberra is one where to play first grade, you have to go through that process. But to play Canberra second grade, um, you don't have to. So that's still considered community <clears throat> football. Um, so my, my understanding, Hannah, is that, that um, some people in authority are saying to you, well, why don't you just, you know, be quiet, please, and go and play at, the, at that second grade level. And you're saying, have you seen me? <laughs> well, the thing is, and, and this is what I've said to people is, look, I can go play second grade. That's fine. But what people I think at the AFL, and maybe they do understand it, I don't know, um, is that there are a lot of people who are going to decide to play in that competition who at the moment don't know they're playing football this year and have never considered it and have never been particularly active and don't know the rules. And so for me, you know, it's not a trans issue. It's just about playing at what is the appropriate level or the most appropriate level, you know, for where you're at. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you take any player from the AFL competition or the top end of the VFL and put them in what, is essentially suburban second grade, it's not really going to go very well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to go through the process to play first grade too. Like, I mean, I think that's probably where I should be. I think we can agree on that. Um, but the AFL won't give me the information I need to be able to do it. So when the policy, when the changes to the definitions of elite and community were announced in October, I, I made sure I had a meeting with the AFL the next day and just said, what the hell's going on? Like, this shouldn't be the case. Um, because I'd also asked them two days before when I heard they were announcing the policy and they said there was no change to community football. So, you know, that clearly wasn't the case and was just rubbish. Um, but, you know, they said, when I asked them, I said, can you send me the application forms? They didn't exist yet. And they said, oh, they'll be ready after the grand final. So the AFL grand final, so this is three or four weeks later. I said, look, can you send them to me when they're ready? Never happened. I've asked them again, never happened. I've since learned only in the last day or two that they uploaded them online and they can now be downloaded. But still, you know, it's not the point. Um, you know, if they know I'm after the forms and they didn't exist yet and they're going to send them to me, you should probably do that. Um, <laughs> 
but also they won't tell me who I need to apply to. So whether that's AFL head office in Melbourne, whether it's AFL Canberra, um, they won't tell me. We've asked them and they've said, no, we're not telling. Um, you know, like and that was a letter that was sent through lawyers last week. You know, we mm. and I've had these conversations face to face as well or on Zoom as well. But um, you know, it's got to the point where lawyers need to be involved to get them to actually engage. Um, and also, they've only spoken to me through lawyers for two years, so I'm like, well, I don't really want to bring a knife to a gunfight, do I? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, we asked I've... them last week. Um, you know, we assume this is correct. We apply to AFL Canberra. Um, tell us if it's wrong and they just said no we're not telling you so that's where it's at um i you know i have other questions around it too which i think are purely me doing doing my own due diligence given um you know my history with the afl and they won't answer those either and so hopefully i mean i don't want to go to court i don't think anyone wants to do that you know Mm. like really but the lawyers coming in was largely for some level of accountability. So they would hopefully talk to me, but also they've only spoken to me through lawyers for the last two and a half years anyway. So I think it's probably. <clears throat> it sort of makes to. sense. Yeah. You yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I don't want to, but. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting from the beginning, when I started in AFL in um, Sydney, my contact at the club was this woman named Ricky. And when I turned up, I then found out that Ricky was a trans woman and she had played very early in um, Sydney AFL and also her flatmate Sharon played and then became a photographer of the league, which ace photos back then. And throughout the years in Sydney, we've had um, Verna come along and play. We've had Bo and Cohen who transitioned the other way. And it's never been a problem because Sydney had policies very early on about including trans people to either play or not play at certain levels. Um, And I'm certain in the future, Sydney's so much more advanced, we will continue to have, uh, you know, an inclusive competition there. And other huge sporting companies or, you know, organisations would then contact our president, Lucy, or secretary Veto and ask them, what were your policies? Where do you get them from? So that they could adopt it. And it's interesting now that the AFL is not looking at anything they used back then and instead going to completely other sports to create or formulate these policies that they're bringing in without using the experience that we've had. So, you know, that competition's been going for, I think, nearly 25 years, 30 years, 30 years, 30 years. So, um, you know, go and talk to them with their experience. Have a look at what's happened in that time. And, and let's learn from that, not go to something that has no experience in, um, in this kind of sport and yeah. no background yeah. in it. So, so yeah, yeah it's, it's think, challenging. Look, and the, and the thing is at the moment, um, I mean, look, I, I'm trying to be careful of what I say just so I don't slander people or put things that aren't out there. But the way I feel at the moment um, is that it's it's – Look, it became personal a long time ago. That That's my feelings on it. Um, and if, I know a lot of other people have sort of privately said the same thing. And so there's that layer of it. So currently we're going through Pride Round um, with the AFLW and a lot of the Guernseys, the Geelong one, the Bulldogs one, 
uh, has specifically put the trans flag on it. What When you see that, how does that make you feel? Because I know we've gone around and there's loads of interviews with lesbian or out, yeah. out female players in the competition. So, yes, we go through the rainbow flag. But seeing that flag and saying, yes, we include trans, knowing that really the AFL doesn't, yeah. but for, for someone like you, how does that really make you feel? Yeah, that's massive. Like, so, I mean, you sort of take the AFL out of it as an organisation. Um, but, you know, the clubs and the AFL are very separate entities, you know, and they, and the players obviously are so different again. And so, you know, that's huge. And Darabin was first, you know, we did it first. And I remember playing the pride game in Hamilton and I'm not someone who's hugely, looks hugely into the symbolisms of anything, you know, so I went into it thinking it'd just be like another game, go out and play, whatever. And that was great. Like, you know, like playing that game, you know, you you walk out, you play like you're 30 foot tall, you know, it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's great because it's sort of one of the few ways that the clubs and um, anyone else can sort of, you know, include that on there and not have a shot at anyone, but make their own feelings very clear as separate to the AFL. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm really encouraged by, by your your feelings about that because in discussions in the podcast team, we were, we were saying, I wonder if like, is this a kick in the teeth? Is it like, well, you know, well, we accept trans people, but as long as you stay on the other side of the fence, but um, we, then we did wonder, is it actually more the players saying, come on, you know, catch up to, to the rest of the world sort of thing. Yeah. So that, that's how the AFL is. I think the AFL, the message that they send, whether they mean to or not is we're all for trans people but we don't really want you to play, especially not if you're any good. You know, that's the message that whether the AFL likes it or not comes across. The clubs and the players, though, it's totally different and always has been. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, great. Um, that's, that's pretty much the end of the, the questions I had written down. Do you have any um, anything else you want to say or do you have any kind of vision for the, the future of football in Australia? Um, not really. I, I mean, in terms of anything that I need to get across or want to get across or anything like that, but, um, uh, look in terms of, I think it's just sport in general and football in general. I just think the more people we can get playing, the better and the simpler we can make the processes, the better, like I'm with, especially, you know, male to female trans athletes, you know, I totally agree. There needs to be checks and balances in place to make sure that, you know, it, there isn't that unfair advantage. And, and I totally get that. And, you know, where the um, IOC landed is actually pretty, having been through it is pretty spot on, you know, after 12 months of no testosterone, like I couldn't do anything compared to what I used to, you know I mean? I lost about 70% of my strength across that period. So I just think if we can just go back to you and, and not just strength, but everything, but the strength is measurable with, in numbers, you know, really easily with weight. So the, the quicker we can get to just using testosterone numbers and not have all this other stuff with having to go do all these physical testing that makes it very subjective, the better, because numbers are binary. You're either above or below. And between the IOC and the IAAF, you know, there's enough evidence there to show that testosterone deprivation works. Um, in that sense, I don't agree, obviously, with the IAAF making caster, caster 
lower her testosterone. That's a totally separate issue. But the science of what testosterone deprivation does is there. So yeah. we should just use that. Well, uh, Hannah Mouncey, dickhead from Wodonga. Thanks, yeah, uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I have to make much. it very clear, listeners, she made me say it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's me. 100%. That is my bio. Oh, all right. Hannah, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, giving us your time. No worries. And good Thank luck with, so uh, with the quest to play at Ainsley. We'll at, get there. At the right level. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. See you no later. Worries. Have a good one. I'll Don't work too later. hard. I'll try not to. Okay. Bye. 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 Last week I caught up with Beck Privatelli from the GWS Giants to talk about all things footy uh, pre-season to 2021 and what's been happening with the Giants as we head into season 2021 and uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, Beck, how are you going? Hey Trace, I am well. I am uh, finally made it home, so I'm in, I'm in my self-isolation in back in New South Wales, which is great. That's so good, so good to hear. It's been quite a journey, and we'll cover off on that um, as we have a bit of a chat. Um, but I'm really interested to hear about um, you. You had an awesome season last year, uh, one mark of the year. I kicked a few goals, and um, I think on a personal level, probably been pretty happy with your performance um, and I'm just wondering um, how's your prep for 2021 been since the end of the AFLW season 2020 which seems like so long ago. Yeah, it does. Um, firstly it was just great to get out um, and play on the weekend. It's been a really long time coming. Um, yeah I guess this year has been a little bit of a different pre-season of what we've experienced in the past. There's been a lot of unknown and a lot of change that's um, happened for our group but um, yeah, I guess the the biggest focus for me is just been trying to make what isn't a normal situation as normal as possible, and that's kind of the mindset that I've just had throughout the journey. Um, and you know, we had a really good time in Aubrey, and um, although we did miss a period over the Christmas break, it was good once we got the group group together and we got to finally see some progress after um, a break apart. So yeah, pre-season different, but um, I'm really glad that that we are where we are at the moment. No, that's awesome. And you, you managed to play footy in the off-season. You managed to play in, in the Sydney AFL comp um, where a lot of, um, I think, your Melbourne counterparts didn't. So how was that for you? I did. I uh, had my first season at the Inner West Magpies and it was it was honestly um, amazing. We, I think the group, and Trace, you'd know, but um, obviously the Magpies have struggled for a couple of years to place a consistent footy and I think finished at the back end of the ladder um, made for the past couple of years so to bring that group some success and, and to have a really good season and make it all the way through to the grand final was pretty unreal for not just the girls but for the club as well I think it was the first grand final that the club's been a part of for a, a really long time so that was pretty special um, and I, I love playing footy so for me playing is the best way for me to I think improve and um, build confidence in my game so I had a really good Good season. I really enjoyed myself um, and we were pretty lucky to be playing over what was a really difficult time. It was kind of what kept us sane and, and motivated um, in what was a really tough time, particularly in Victoria. So I was wrapped to just be out there and playing footy. Yeah, that's awesome. I did manage to catch, I think, the last game of the season. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, it was good to see you out there running around. Um, is there anything in particular that you focused on ahead of the 2021 season for, on a personal level in terms of your performance or, you know, sort of skill development or fitness, any particular aspect of your game? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm probably fitter at the moment than I've ever been, which um, I'm finding a huge advantage with the way we structure and the way we play our footy, particularly trying to get up and down the ground. Um, and that's probably been my main focus for the past couple of years. I felt like I got my body to a stage last year where it could perform at the highest level, and I just wanted to build on that in the off-season. Um, but probably the biggest thing for me that I've learned over the years, and I think um, back when I was playing Victoria, I spent a lot of time actually focusing on what maybe my strengths weren't and, and more my weaknesses, which I, I feel like, yes, you need to put some focus into that stuff, but I've learned that for me to be the best player that I can, I need to focus on what I'm good at and getting even better at what um, what my strengths are. So I've, I've just put a massive um, focus into my contestant marking over the past couple of months and um, practicing my technique and jumping at the foot in and all those things that are going to make me a better forward. Um, but I've also put some focus into the stuff that I do need to work on and it's pretty obvious um, I might not be the quickest player out in the field, but um, it's still an area of my game that I'm continuing to learn and develop in. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And you took a good grab on the weekend too. Um, so, um, yeah, and so tell us a little bit more about, I, I know on New Year's Day, you know, you had to head down to Albury and then, of course, that'll change and next meet you're in Adelaide. Um, um, so, you know, you've really had some challenging times in preparation for round one. Um you know, how did you, how, how were you, how was your mindset? You spoke about that before. How was your mindset going into round one, given all of the things that you've had to deal with um, since last season? Yeah, I mean, it's, as I said before, there's just been so much change and so much unknown and uncertainty. So that was probably the toughest part. Um, but in saying all that, we've had a really resilient group, and I think being surrounded by the girls and, and the club and the staff who have been on this journey with us is kind of makes it worthwhile. Um, the last week was pretty tough. There was there was you know, no hiding from the fact that um, Sunday was a pretty emotional day for our group for a number of reasons. So mm. um, to just play, I think, was that was the easy part, getting out there and playing and, and finally being able to do what we love doing and, and the whole reason why we're there is to play. So to be able to do that was really special. Um, but the week itself was, yeah, it, it was an emotional journey, but I'm really proud of the girls and proud of the way that um, we went about the game. And obviously we didn't get the result. I would love to have um, gone on a win, but mm. uh, in saying that, I thought we showed some really positive signs and I thought our first half of footy was really good and, and something we can continue to build on. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you know it was it was a distressing weekend, and um, yeah. you know as you know I coached Barks at both club footy and the season I did at GWS, and um, you know I must admit watching seven games and seven tributes, and um, you know messaging a few of her good mates who were who were players at UNSW during the time it was a it was a hard weekend, and I knew that the team you know would be up against it really to have had not just that. To deal with, but just the, it's like the club can't catch a break at the moment. So, um, so I, I guess you know, leading on from that, and you're, you're home and in lockdown, and um, you know, I think 
one of the things I'm interested in is what what are you looking forward to in the season, you know, and um, and how how how's the team going to move forward from now? Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to playing, which hopefully we get to do. Um, it just kind of feels when you're stuck in um, isolation, it just feels like such a long way away. But um, yeah, hopefully we play this weekend. If we don't, um, hopefully the season will continue for us the week after. But I think the first thing is just getting back out there. And then the second thing is just kind of building on what um, of signs that we saw on the weekend. So as I said, like that first half was some really good con- um, contested footy. And I thought we, we held our own right up until maybe that third quarter where we kind of let ourselves down a bit. So finding some form, um, I think, is pretty important for us winning some games and to be honest I'm, I'm really keen to play at home um, I love playing in Sydney I love having the home crowd behind us so hopefully we get some home games over the next couple of weeks I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to playing here yeah that would be a real positive wouldn't it too because you know we weren't going to see any games so I hope, I hope we do get some Sydney games and I hope I can get along to a couple of them um so, Priv, look, thanks heaps for um, having a chat with me. Um, I must finish with a question about I hope you've been practising the table tennis. Um, <laughs> because for those those listeners out there that don't know, you and I are, are the standing champions down yeah. here on the south coast. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't know if you had the table tennis table in Albury, but I know there's usually one in the hotel, so I'm pretty sure you've, you've had a hit. Yeah, don't worry. It won't take you long to find some form again. <laughs> No worries. Well, looking forward to catching up with you, looking forward to seeing you in the game and um, looking forward to seeing what you can do this season always. Um, here at Coat Hanger, we're right behind the team, the club, and um, especially um, I'm always keen to follow your progress. So um, thanks heaps for talking to me. Thanks, Trace. Appreciate the chat. No worries. You're listening to Kiwis Crew, and this week we're coming from EJ Wittenstand at the Bulldogs versus Carlton Pride Mat. And the question this week is, what does Pride Round mean to you? Hello, Pride Round to me means inclusivity. Um, football brings people together of all range of diversities, and it's about letting us all know that we belong. We have a space; it's a safe space, and that we all belong together in the one place. Thank you. What does Pride Round mean to you? Everything she said with bells on. <laughs> Excellent. Nick Claire, what does Pride Round mean to you? Pride Round means everything. Uh, we've spoken about the uh, original Pride Games in the last few rounds and to have every AFLW club participate in a Pride Round is just the most magical and surreal experience ever. I can't wait for the rest of the matches this round. And what does Pride Round mean to you? Pride Round means coming to watch the footy with my footy teammates and my girlfriend, and that's pretty nice. It means something that has traditionally been as anti-gay as footy, being open to uh, all kinds of folks living their lives and um, providing an opportunity for young people to feel welcome. Woohoo! And what does Pride Round mean to you? I think it's a great way just to show that we accept everyone and that it's all inclusive and it's a great way just to show support to the rest of the wider public.